Empowering your athlete is giving them agency to know that they are enough. Whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, in the pool or in the classroom, whether they're with you in the car or a thousand miles away if they're, you know, they choose to go to school somewhere else. But empowerment is about, to me, agency. And I think when I think about my three kids, what I want my kids to know is I, I can do it. I can figure it out. It may not always go well. It may not. In fact, a lot of times I'm going to land flat on my face and that's okay. Hey guys, Hannah Donnelly here for another episode of On Her Mark, a podcast where we sit down with female athletes, fitness professionals, and women in sports to learn their stories and their why, all in an effort to find inspiration and celebrate those blazing trails for the next generation. I first heard today's guest speak at a Women's Network talk here at NBC Boston and immediately knew she was the perfect guest for the podcast. Kirsten Jones is a nationally recognized performance coach, former Division I athlete, mom of three, podcast host, and new author of Raising Empowered Athletes, a Youth Sports Guide for Raising Happy, Brave, and Resilient Kids. And this is a conversation for parents, but also for athletes, high performers, coaches, basically anyone and everyone who wants to achieve big goals. Kirsten first told me she wrote the book because she needed it 15 years ago when her kids were playing youth sports. And honestly, I don't have kids, but as a former Division I athlete myself, this conversation was so interesting and so relevant. I think it's something that we are all aware of, the changing landscape of youth sports, and we don't know how to navigate. What does it look like? We know what we maybe don't want to do, But in today's society, how do you not do that? So today we first talk about what an empowered athlete is. Kirsten defines that. And she talks about why raising kids and athletes to have agency and resiliency in sports translates directly to everything else they want to do in life. We talk about why specializing in sports at young ages is actually not the path to most success. Of course, there are the Tiger Woods and the Steph Currys of the world, but generally playing more sports will be more beneficial. Also talk about coaching, how great coaches are essential for learning and longevity in sport. And we tackle the conversation of the meddling parent. We all know the one, the parent yelling at the refs, complaining to the coach about playing time. And Kirsten answers the question, is there ever a reason for a parent to interject. And for the adult high achievers, we learn about the non-negotiables for success. What must you do to achieve success in any field? And so much more. You guys, this conversation is packed with great tips. Interesting conversation. I truly enjoyed it and I really loved listening to it back as I was editing it. I would also be remiss if I didn't share the small world connection we made just before recording. As some of you know, I am a proud Colgate University alum and Kirsten, I learned, is also part of the Colgate community. Her son is currently playing hoops there. And so if it wasn't already cool enough that Kirsten and I both played volleyball, we now have this Colgate connection too, which I just love. All right, let's get into it. 
please welcome Kirsten Jones to the On Her Mark podcast. Kirsten, you are you are back now from a busy, busy fall um, on your book tour. What was it like to connect with these parents and athletes in real life after, you know, after they get to read your words of wisdom? It was thank you so much for having me on. This is so fun to this is what's been happening throughout the process, which is I've traveled all over the United States and everywhere I go there's some small world connection, which is so cool, whether it was through my own sports or through working at Nike or through raising an athlete or through, um, you know, competing and all of that. So it's been amazing to talk to parents and I'm kind of getting to, um, if you bucket it at a, at a high level, two responses. And one is from parents my age, I'm now in my fifties. So I'm on the end of my parenting journey, which is where was this book 15 years ago? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then from the parents who were on the front end of it, who are like, really? Like, I'm only supposed to say, I love to watch you play. And I don't need to get caught up in the, he's five and we have to pick one sport and we have to specialize. So I really hope that this book becomes something for, like a toolbox for parents who are, again, I think trying to figure out the best way to, to approach it in a way that makes sense for them and for their kid. So, so many things to kind of tap into from that right there, but raising an empowered athlete, you talk about being five years old, not knowing parents, not knowing where to start, but before we even get to what the landscape of youth sports looks like today, because I would, I would venture to guess it looks very different today than it did when you were growing up, than it did 10 years ago, all of that. Right. But what is an empowered athlete? So I think the best way to explain that is we've lived all over the world, actually. But in, in when I got to raising kids, we my kids were eight, five, and or no, sorry, 12, eight, and five when we moved to L.A. And my middle one, I got to a corner in L.A. I needed to get him to the school. There was so much traffic. I couldn't reach the school in time. I needed to get my daughter to a different school. And I was panicking. I was having one of those parenting moments of like, I'm not going to be able to do this mm -hmm. in my mind. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to turn around. I'm going to go park my car. And I feel my then nine-year-old, you know, tap me on the shoulder and say, mom, I got this. And he jumped out of the car and he ran to the curb. And by the time I pulled up to the corner, having never been to LA, telling him like the school's that way, son, he walked up to a guy and said, hey, I'm going to that school, can I walk with you? Mm -hmm. Empowering your athlete is giving them agency to know that they are enough. Whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, in the pool or in the classroom, whether they're with you in the car or a thousand miles away if they're, you know, they choose to go to school somewhere else. But empowerment is about, to me, agency and I think when I think about my three kids, what I want my kids to know is I, I can do it. I can figure it out. It may not always go well. It may not. In fact, a lot of times I'm going to land flat on my face and that's okay. And it's how do I get up from landing on my face without mom and dad pulling yeah. me, you know, showing me this is how you do it. Right. That's, and that brings me to the, to the youth sports landscape because giving a kid, teaching a kid agency Obviously a five-year-old might not know exactly what, what that, how to get out of the car and find the school, but you got to give them the tools in the environments to learn that. Um, so what does the youth sports landscape look like right now 
and why is it so challenging for parents to navigate? So we need a history lesson in order to get to where we are. Let's go back. So in the 40s and 50s, about 24% of women worked outside of the home. By the 80s and 90s, that number had doubled. Today, the number is 78% of women work outside of the home, right? So we're now to the place where we all have super busy lives. And even if you don't have a quote unquote full-time job, parenting is a full-time job because you have you know, three kids at three different schools and five different sports, et cetera, et cetera. But what happens in the 70s and 80s when you just went outside and played? You just played whatever sport was in front of you. You didn't play club, probably. You didn't worry about whether you were going to make the high school team or not. You played in high school if you wanted to, and you didn't worry about playing in college. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1979, this little channel comes online, ESPN. Now, all of a sudden, we can turn on our TVs and we can see sports all the time. And, ooh, look at that kid, Tiger Woods. Like, oh, it too, he had a club in his hand. At the same time, dads are thinking, well, you know, parents are thinking, wow, we don't have as much time with them because we're both working. You know, what if I helped out? I could coach. And then I'm, I'm more involved, which, again, totally altruistic and I think is a great thing. Like parents are more involved in helping the sport. So what happens is we start adulting into the sports and we put in all of our rules. You know, now it's no longer just go out and play till the lights get out and go out and you make up your own rules. It's now we put in structure. And then, of course, parents are like, well, gosh, if we got Jimmy and Joey and, you know, on the team, we could be really good. So then we start implementing all of these structured leagues. And then we, you know, it, it started growing from there. And I think it was a very slow, gradual place to where now in the last 10 to 15 years, you know, you, I have clients where the kids are like, they don't know how to just go do like they don't, you know, I have a client, she was a, a surfer and her mom took her to the skate park and she looked at her mom. She's like, well, I don't know how to do this. She's like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you're a surfer. She's like, yeah, but I've never taken a lesson. You know, there's no like, oh, okay. I'm just going to go figure this out because we put them in such a, a structured environment all the time. So now you have kids that are literally from kick and chase from four and five. All they know is, I have these lessons at this time, I have to go to this piano lesson, then I have to go to this, you know, voice lesson. And then like everything is about structured play and structured learning. And it's gotten away from, oh, I just, I don't know why I play, it's, it's just fun. And whether I play through high school or whether I play into college or whether I play pro is like, that, 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 that has nothing to do with your five or your eight or your 10 year old. Well, yeah, parents are feeling- The fun, sorry. the fun, yeah. right? Like. I mean, I'm sure it's possible when you're out there and you're young and you're playing with your friends and, you know, mom and dad are cheering you on and like, yeah, that might be fun. But at what point when you're eight and they're yelling, like at the ref, at the ref, not even at you, at the ref, is that yeah. fun? And the whole car ride home, well, that ref, that, they're the ones that lost it. And, and that's, and, or, or that kid's not better than you. I don't know why that kid's playing. And then how am I supposed to feel if my parents are mad about the fact that I didn't play or I didn't play well, or they, the rules weren't fair, right? Then they're kind of like, oh gosh, I don't want to play if it's not going to be fun. And I say for parents of younger kids, you should focus on the three Fs, friends, fun, and fundamentals, and try to avoid the fourth F which is FOMO. Oh, ooh, well, they've got a private hitting coach. Ooh, well, they're going to Sweden this summer. Ooh, well, they're spending all this money because they think their kids, you know, if I had a dollar on this speaking tour for every parent that came up to me to tell me how special their kid is, which I agree. I've got three of them myself. They're amazing. Oh my gosh, you should see my kid. He's so special. Well, guess what? 
right? Like there's millions of them out there, but it might not be where you think it is. And those, some of the stories that I have in the book are, you know, just because they are showing giftedness or they're interested in something at five or eight or 10, doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna be their, you know, long-term projection. And PS, at some point we all have to pivot. I mean, even you and I, who are college athletes, right? It's so, you know, I remember when the when the music stopped, and I was kind of like, wait, now now what do I do? Like, I've I've never not played a sport. I've never not been recruited. So at a certain point, all of us will have to pivot. I yes, a hundred percent. I I will never forget. So volleyball is a fall sport, you know, and I remember my teammates. I lived with them my senior year. We came back that spring semester, and we like the first week of classes, we were like what do we do in our free time? We were like, we don't have practice. We don't have lift. We don't have anyone to like make a schedule for us. And of course we learned all of those skills throughout time, right? You figure out when to fit in your homework. You figure out when you prioritize socializing and friendships. But for the first time we were like, so I can go a whole week and not work out. And there's no repercussions. (laughs) Like I'm not going to struggle in practice next week because I can't get through a drill. And it was a, it was a learning moment. And fortunately from sport, we had learned the skills to kind of navigate, but all of us navigated it differently too. Not each of us approached it the same, which I think is what I'm kind of hearing you say too, is every kid is different. It's going to look different for your first kid, your second kid, your third kid. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm interested, like you mentioned there, they have all these lessons and we hear about specializing in sport. We hear about, you know, we see Tiger Woods with a club in his hands when he's little, we see the Steph Curry's of the world, but is that really important that we, that kids specialize so early or should they be exploring multiple sports and deciding later down the road? B. <laughs> B. B. No time needed to think about that one. <laughs> Oh, did I say that too fast? The best athletes we know play multiple sports. You're less overwhelmed, less burnout, less overwhelmed, less, you're, you're less, you know, less injury. You have all these, you're excited about it. I mean, I remember because I played a different sport in every season, I always got excited for the next, oh, basketball's here. Oh, I haven't played basketball in three months, right? But we now are, I mean, my daughter plays volleyball and we were leaving JOs you know, we're getting the text in the airport that, well, what do you, you know, be, be there on Sunday because tryouts for next season are Monday, right? So we're not talking about giving them two months off or three months off. We're talking about three days. And that's not good for your brain. That's not good for your body. That's not good for, again, just general athleticism. And what we want are athletes for life. Because what we know is those who are not competing, but who are physically active at 23, then set the stage for what they're going, the habits that they're going to have for the next 60, 70, 80 years. So 70% of kids are dropping out of sport altogether by age 13. So it's, and again, it's not about the trophy. It's about the physical, it's about stress, chronic stress and anxiety and overwhelm and coping skills. Like I was just having this discussion uh, with a trainer was like, what my daughter isn't going to play volleyball in college. She, she's decided she's done. But I love that she now knows how to walk into a weight room and isn't intimidated by it. She's like, oh, I can work out. Oh, I know exactly because she played volleyball for the last five years. 
you know, and parents, I had a mom ask me yesterday, well, why is she playing club this season if she's not playing in college? I go, it's this really weird thing. It's like fun. It's supposed to just be she likes fun, it. right? <laughs> she likes it, right? And it is, it's, it's like, that's almost a strange answer. Like, mm -hmm. oh, well, she's not doing it because she wants to go to the next level. No, she's actually just enjoys it. She enjoys her teammates and she likes the way she feels when she works out. That's what we should be focusing on. And that's going to lead to, you know, the water polo player becomes the diver and the track and field athlete becomes the climber. And you, like, you're going to pivot to other sports throughout your life. And that's the goal is staying active and growing and developing and trying new things having agency over what your future is. I love that because I think I, I have this conversation with people often as an adult of like what joy it brings me at least to try something new and be bad at it. And that's really hard also as an adult, right? But when you're a kid and you're experiencing all these different things, like that's the great opportunity to learn the skills to do that. And even with someone like myself who played multiple sports, did all those things, I still can find it challenging to try something and be bad at it. <laughs> and I think what well, you're, I, like you, playing sports, being part of those teams and communities and kind of you, you get the tools for adulthood. Yeah. And I, I like you probably because you played at a high level. Like I was, I'm so competitive with myself that I have a hard time, like if I suck at something, like it's it's hard for me, I'll raise yeah. my hand. It's, I don't like sucking, right? And then yet <laughs> when you say you're, you're modeling to your kids, oh, I tried that, it didn't work out. I had an athlete, a uh, five-time Olympian, uh, on uh, Danielle Scott, on, and she four times, no, five times to the, for volleyball, and then went back and tried to make the national team for, for basketball. And when I had her on the podcast, she, her, she and her seven-year-old were learning how to play the piano. And she's like, oh, she's so much better than I am, but she's teaching me so much. And that, that's exactly why she's a five-time Olympian, because she has a growth mindset that isn't about, well, I'm the parent and you're the kid and I should be better than you and I'm teaching you. She was having so much fun learning from her seven-year-old about what it took to be a better pianist. She's like, oh, I don't know anything about piano. I'm new at piano too. So having that kind of growth mindset is what elevates you, like, again, in all parts of your life, forget just sports. It's about every aspect of life. A growth mindset is so important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I'm curious that that means taking criticism, right? That means being open to feedback, using the feedback, and then finding a strategy to move forward. How can parents with kids from five, I guess, to high school, help foster a healthy growth mindset. Because if a kid's coming to you at five and saying, I'm bad at X, Y, and Z, that's different than if a teen's coming to you. So, so I'm curious, Kirsten, how you approach that at different ages. The most important thing you can do is model it. They're going to listen to almost nothing, particularly once you get to the teenage years, none of what you say, but they are taking notes. And I remember when I, my older two were, were, you know, young teenagers and you felt like it's just falling on deaf ears. 
And then you wait a couple of years and all of a sudden, everything you were saying gets regurgitated back to you. <laughs> but, you know, as I say on the podcast, my podcast with Susie Walton, uh, Raising Athletes, hashtag Raising Athletes, she talks about, you know, parents, if you're one of those people that is like, I'm a perfectionist, I can't allow my kid to see me make an error. She's like, get off at the wrong exit. Like, find small little opportunities to show them that it is okay to not be perfect. Because if you're walking around, you know, we all have things that don't, you didn't do well on the presentation or you lost the job or the relationship didn't go well. We have, you know, things that happen to us every single day. And if you're only showing them or allowing them to see into your world about everything, you know, I pitched this book to 50 publishers, you know, you know, there are a lot of dinners, like, I don't know if this book's going to, if this is going to happen. Like, wow, this didn't go well. I was in Dallas six months ago. Zero people signed, showed up for the talk. You know, I came home and said, wow, that, that just didn't go well. I, I had a hundred people signed up and nobody showed up. It's okay. Like humiliating. Yes. I, of course I felt shame about that. At the same time, it's a day. It's an episode, whatever. How bad do you want it? Are you going to pitch it again? Or are you just going to go say, okay, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. And that's what we're modeling to them too is, okay, you got cut from the team. Okay. You got an F on that paper. Okay. That relationship didn't end the way you thought it would. So what now what? So what now what? And that's, you like, like you just said, it applies to everything. It applies to absolutely everything. Kind of switching gears here. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I think is a really important conversation when it comes to sports at all levels, um, is coaching. And one, I want to start with the importance, the importance of a, a relationship that a, that a player or an athlete and their coach has. Why is that so important to performance, to mindset, to growth mindset, to experience all of those things? Oh, just love this topic. <laughs> Coaching, you know, coaches and teachers and parents all, and that's why this book is for all of them because, and including the athletes, is we have so much power to impact, whether whatever hat you're wearing, to impact and change positive or negative somebody's future. And when you have a coach that comes into your life that sees you, that says, I see you. And it doesn't even have to be about you being the best player on the team or you even getting playing time. But I know my college volleyball coach at William and Mary, she saw each of her players. She was in my wedding. I talked to her every week now, 30 years later, because she cared about me as a human being long before she cared about me as an athlete. And when we're talking about youth sports on the front end of that, that means I, I look at it as a ladder and you think about John Wooden, was, which is he was always about, if you're a Z level athlete, I'm going to make you an S. If you are an H, I'm going to make you an R or, you know, a, a, a G. If you're a B, I'm going to make you an A. And I think a lot of coaching now is so extrinsically driven, i.e. it's about the trophy. It's about the, you know, the ranking. It's about how many kids go pro. It's about how many kids go D1. But I think it should be about how many kids signed up next year, the following year. That's the sign of a, of a great youth sports coach. Mm -hmm. And I've had episodes with, with all of my kids where they didn't sign up. But my, my middle son never had such a horrific experience with a coach. He never kicked a soccer ball again 
And that was a kid who had played for eight years, who loved it. But because of how that coach made him feel, he said, never again will I ever play that sport. And that's the part that scares me so bad. And I see parents, you know, come to me to say, what do we do? And we're not when we're in this, in this, you know, kind of disempowering situation. And on the coaching side, you know, I read the other day, I don't know if this is factual, but like 30% of like club and high school coaches have had any coaching themselves just because you were a great player. And then they hand you the whistle and say, okay, yeah, no go. Mm. Now go deal with 15 sets of parents and 15 kids. All right, good luck. Motivate them. I mean, maybe, you know, the X's and O's, but also to understand what's going on off the, off the court and motivation and teamwork and developing them as leaders, developing them as people. Like it's a complicated, you know, <laughs> puzzle to fix uh, to, and to, to work with. It's not as easy as saying, okay, I played D1. I can, I can coach a team. I just, Aaron Matson was on the the podcast a week ago and, you know, it was interesting to hear her perspective of just, you know, what I learned in the past year about the behind the scenes. Um, of course they had great success and she had a great support system to, to guide her there. Um, but hearing, but hearing that it was like, you know, tra- making that transition is not as, um, seamless. It takes a lot of effort. Um, and so you talk, you talk there about your son coming to you saying, I don't want to play soccer anymore. How does a parent know when, maybe this isn't the right way to say it, when their kid's serious about it, like, cause there's mm. so many factors. There's so many external factors. Um, we know that girls drop out at, at a higher rate than boys do. How do we know that it's like truly in their heart that they want to stop? Or if it's mm. something else. That particular situation, I watched his confidence erode throughout mm. the season. And I got to driving him to that last tournament where he was in the fetal position crying because that coach was making him feel so awful and so unvalued that I felt like a horrible parent. Who am I? Because I was like, oh, we start where we finish. Okay, well, you just have to finish the season. Okay, suck it up. Right. But what I saw was him completely like who he is was not there anymore. But yes, there are situations where if, if there's harm or there's any, you know, trauma, then yes, you need to remove your child. You need to step in. If it's just, you know, and I get that question a lot, like, well, they like video games. They'd rather be doing that. Or they like boys and they don't want to be, you know, like, so it is hard to gauge and, and there isn't a one size fits all, Mm -hmm. but I do say, instead of having one 90 minute conversation with your kid, have 90 one minute conversation. Wow. You really like soccer at the beginning of the season. What's going on? Oh, okay. Well, this is happening. Well, I'm not getting reps in practice. Well, you're helping them problem solve in real time. And here's the biggest thing you can do is ask questions, not give our opinion. And that's hard right? <laughs> because we think, well, I've been there. Oh, I know exactly what you've been through here. Let me tell you what's going to happen. But as much as you can, don't sympathize, empathize, and empathize requires asking open-ended questions, not yes or no, but tell me how you feel when. Tell me what you're thinking in this situation. Let me know, tell me about the landscape. And I know sometimes there's kids that will talk your ear off and there's others that, you know, it's, it's really hard getting them to articulate what they're thinking. But as 
my best advice would be sometimes we put the words or we think we know what the answer is. So we tell them what they think and it may not be the case. <laughs> so that makes me think that there's a lot of parents that are kind of meddling with coaches too, right? If they see something and their kids like, doesn't really bother me. Or like, I kind of know why they made that decision, but a parent's perspective, right? If they're not asking the questions, if they're not empathizing, then there might be a little bit of the disconnect. So is there, is, is there ever an appropriate time for a parent to meddle with an athlete coach relationship? (laughs) (laughs) There's a million dollar question. Okay. First, let me respond to, so I have had multiple times where a, the parent calls and say, here's the dead giveaway. We aren't getting a lot of playing time. Like we, well, my daughter isn't getting playing time and it's really upsetting. So first they conflate their ego with their child's ego. And it's because, and I get it, right? We, that's our most important asset. We want to make sure they're happy, but what will happen more than once where the parent will call, be very irate about the playing time. And I'll get the kid on the phone and you'll be like, so what's going on? What do you mean? Well, so are you, you know, you having a good year? Oh yeah, great. So are you getting much playing time? No, but Sally and Julie and Susie are all better than I am. So I get it. I I just, I'm happy to be part of the team. So the parent is experiencing one situation and the kid gets it. Like they're smart. They're like, Mm -hmm. she works harder than I do. She's better talented than I am. You know, and then you say, are there things you could do to improve? Oh, for sure. Okay. You want to talk about those? Yeah, let's do that. But to your point about or question about meddling, no, this is about empowering, right? So giving them the tools to say, just like your teacher, you know, and the inspiration for my book, The Gift of Failure, Jess Leahy talked about, you know, like, don't just assume that because they forgot the trumpet, you're going to run to school and give them the trumpet. And then you're going to go and you're going to talk to the teacher and you're going to move to a different classroom and stop fixing. Mm. If they want to do C work, Yes, give them support, give them tools, ask them good questions around how you can help them. But we are doing so much more snowplow, helicopter, drone, pick your metaphor, parenting, that they're not getting the benefit of learning the lesson by it not going well and trying to figure it out on their own. Well, I think I think about that in like terms of like the workplace, right? Like mom and dad aren't going to come into your boss and be like, hey, I think that Sally really needs a raise. Like, no, you have to advocate for yourself. And this seems like a, a really great way of asking questions and getting those, those tools to do so. Um, which leads me to not only are you kind of, you coach these parents in sport, you coach athletes, you also coach a peak performance coach, um, and you coach people in their careers and to just be high performers. So I'm curious what your non-negotiables for success, um, for success are, in general, just across any of those spectrums. Yeah. I, I think we touched on it, you know, in the middle, which is being curious and willing to actually, I was listening to a great podcast today about stoicism and stoicism, stoics. Um, it's not about being the best. It's about asking better questions. We are such a focused on the outcome. It's progress over perfection. And we're so all worried about did I get the trophy? Did I get into the breast school? Did I get the best job? But yet, if you could literally be focused on what can I learn in this moment and use that as the wayfinding 
to help you get to where you're meant to be. So the tools that I like to help people with are all around mindset, which are what, are what are the stories you're telling yourself? Well, I'll never get that job. Well, I'll never get get on that team. Well, I'll never get into that school. Or are you saying, gosh, if I could learn this skill set, I, I it, it might put me on a different path that I'm on today. And that, and that might be fun. I love that. I think that's so important. And asking questions is such a something that we can get bogged down in, right? Like we can get bogged down in the day-to-day of life and not really spend time doing that. Um, So that's, that's really important. And then I curious, as we look at youth sports, we look at, you know, almost kind of the tail end of that, of going to college to play a sport. How has NIL impacted youth sports? Oh, it's such an interesting conversation, right? Um, I don't think we yet know exactly how, because we're still in the middle of it. But between that and the transfer portal, you know, pre-COVID, uh, you know, getting a college scholarship at any level or getting to play in college, D1, D2, D3, NAI, any level was less than 7%. With COVID, with the transfer portal, I, I'm guessing we're going to see data that's less than 4 or 5%. And now you're seeing coaches that are coming out saying, I'm not recruiting high school kids. I don't need to. I'm going to go into the portal and I'm going to pick out somebody who's already got two or three years of stats. And what we're giving up for that is the college experience that I'm assuming you and I had, which was to really bond with your team, to be all in for your school, to have school pride, where my son, my middle son, who was speaking to it, it was a whatever power five team. And, and, the, the coach said, you know, I'm not going to recruit your son because he's 18 and I'm sure he's talented, but I can go into the portal and I can get any kid who's already got three years of experience. I want to win now. I'm being held accountable to win right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, essentially they're admitting, I, I don't really care how long these kids are here. I, and he goes, and on the other side, the kids are saying, well, I'm going to the, I'm going to the league. So it doesn't even matter how long I'm here. He says, most of them aren't. In fact, in that particular school, he said, we have trouble keeping them eligible because they have zero intention of, of actually graduating. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing, you know, the downside is you're seeing kids that are transferring every year. So you're not even halfway to a degree once you go to three or four different schools because you keep starting over. NIL is for the top 1% of the 1%, you know, mostly. And yes, some people will benefit from it. But for most Kids, if that's your, if you think that's what's going to pay the bills, you know, you're going to be sadly mistaken, I think, right? And as I say to all the kids who want to play at any level, focus on the academics, control what you can control. And if you're fortunate enough to get an NIL deal, wonderful. But don't use that as the reason to, yeah, I don't need to focus on my grades. I don't need to focus on, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to be so good that, I don't need to worry about how it's going to come to me. It just will, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe if you're LeBron's son, but for most of us, it's not going to come to you that way. I love, you know, the first time that I, that I heard you speak, I remember that you said something along the lines of when you transferred, it was, if I'm playing, if I'm not playing the sport, will I be happy there? Mm-hmm. Was that is it along the lines of something I think you need to take the broken leg test, which is what wherever you decide to go. And if as a little what happens is you like the coach, you know, like the coach loves me. And it's so and I like have a client right now. She went for the coach, she got to Texas, and the coach left before she even got there. 
And she's like, I'm away from home. I don't know anybody. The assistant coach doesn't like me because they didn't recruit, you know, so there is no perfect process and you can't really predict the future. But what you can do is say, hey, does this check all the boxes that I think I, you know, that matter to me, that I want to get a degree from this place, that I, that, that I like the environment, that I wanted to be in a small town or a big town or, I, you know, like, what are the factors that are going to make me happy regardless of whether I'm getting playing time or not? It's so important. It's so important. Um, final question for you. Do you have a mantra that you lean on? I ask everyone. <laughs> oh, I love that question. <laughs> yes. Everything is always working out for me. Everything is always working out for me. And I say that when things aren't working out, you've, what we focus on expands. So if you're telling yourself, well, this stinks and it's never going to happen. And, and I'm not saying being Pollyannish about it, but I am saying, okay, that didn't work out. What do I have control of today in this moment that I can do better, that I can make the next step that's, that's right for me on my journey? I love that. That's like the growth mindset. If there was a mantra for a growth mindset, that is it. <laughs> Kirsten, thank you so much for taking the time today. And uh, we will link all of your book, your website, everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. I told you guys, there is so much packed into this conversation. If you need to listen to it again, no judgment go for it. <laughs> I certainly listened to it multiple times. My favorite part of the conversation though, and what keeps playing on repeat in my mind is so what now what we need to model to kids, what it looks like to get back up when we fall. And so we say, so what now what I have started using this and it really makes you think switch perspective and move forward. Kirsten is amazing. You can get her book, Raising Empowered Athletes, now wherever you get books. And if you are interested in chatting with Kirsten in a one-on-one in -on -one capacity, you can learn more on her website, kirstenjonesinc.com. And remember, stay locked in on all things on her mark on social by following MBCS Boston. And I'm over at underscore Hannah.Donnelly. And if you're loving these conversations, please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, share it with a friend, post about it on social, show us some love. It really helps to continue bringing you conversations like this, which we are loving. All right. That does it for me today. I'll catch you guys next time.